And Andrew is going to read to us from Ephesians. Thank you, Andrew. Um, so we'll read from verse chapter 1, verse 15 through the end of the chapter, which is verse 23. Um, so Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15. Uh, for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I've not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you uh, may give uh, you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better i pray that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened uh, in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe that power is the same as his as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the age to come, yeah, also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Uh, there's no five to eight Bible study today, sadly. Sorry, young friends, but keep your Bibles open and have a look at Ephesians with us all. You 13 boys are away, so I'm a little bit short on leaders this week. But there's something for you here in Ephesians, I'm sure. Um, so listen along, that'll be good. And it's good to get the hang of listening in church, isn't it? As we start to get older. What a joy it is to be studying Ephesians. I'm really excited about that. I'm really excited about this passage and I'm going to pray for us as we dive in. Loving Father, we uh, thank you for Paul's letter to the Ephesian church. Uh, we thank you for his enthusiasm and excitement as he wrote of it. We are no doubt uh, confident that the church in Ephesus was super excited to receive this letter and this encouragement uh, from Paul. Uh, Lord, we pray that you will help us to uh, clear away distractions from our mind, uh, from the week behind and from the week ahead, and help us to focus in on your word to us, to be encouraged and uplifted, to go out and live for you, all the more energised to live for you, in Jesus' name. We pray all this. Amen. Well, the weather seems to be finally warming up for sure, doesn't it? Tomorrow, the forecast is going to be 40 or close to it crazy so you might want to stay indoors tomorrow uh if you're able to i'm glad it wasn't 40 today that would have been a real test of our cooling facilities here um one of the things that's really boggled me that i want to share with you that's just perplexed me for most of my life is people who live at the beach and hate the sand and the surf i mean i don't understand how you can live right near the beach but hate the beach i grew up with a guy named darren Top bloke, good mate, lived in Caringbar in Sydney's beautiful Sutherland Shire, hated the beach, never went. I don't get it. I don't understand. How can you live so close to the beach and not go to the beach? I grew up in the western suburbs of Sydney, so occasionally on a Saturday we get ready at 9 o'clock in the morning, we go outside and it was already 43 degrees and we get in the car and we'd travel 
Two hours, there was no M4, there was no M2 in those days. It was the not-so-great Western Highway and then Delhi Road and Chatswood and up through there and all that nightmare. And we'd get to the beach and we'd have a beautiful day and then Dad would say, it's going to be nippy, kids, it's time to go back home. So you jump in the car and you get back home and you get out, it's cooled down to 39 degrees in the Western suburbs and you're stinking, sweating, hot again before you... Anyway, I love going to the beach, obviously, and it's 52 days until my two-week holiday at the beach... Uh, in January, not that I'm counting, but yeah, I don't understand how you can live that close and just take the beach for granted. The beach is so great. How can you be so blessed to live right next to it and not like it and just take it for granted? And I wonder, friends, can this same phenomenon happen to Christians when it comes to Jesus? And when it comes to the blessings that we have in Christ, is it possible to to take Jesus for granted? He's just kind of there in your life. You appreciate that he's there, you occasionally cast a glance at him and you see that he's there and it's good that he's there, but you just kind of take him for granted in Christ. I wonder, are you taking Jesus for granted? in your life. In this section of God's Word that we're looking at today, Paul's prayer for the Christian recipients of his letter is that they'd fully grasp the enormous blessing it is to know Christ, fully grasp the riches that they've inherited through faith in Christ, fully appreciate the phenomenal work, the power that's at work in them, through Christ, because if they do, it will be impossible for them to take Jesus for granted. They will live for him wholeheartedly. They'll be filled with hope every day as they go out the door. And I guess I want to ask us today, here's the question for yourself today, do you, do I, fully grasp the blessings that are mine through faith in Jesus? The blessings that you already have, they're in your grasp through faith in Jesus. Please keep your Bibles open at Ephesians chapter 1. Look at verse 15. Paul says, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all his people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. We learned who Paul was last week. He's the apostle sent by God with the authority of God. And it says in verse 16, he's not stopped giving thanks for the Gentile Christians, the non-Jewish Christians, because of their faith in the Lord and their love for all his people, that being the Jewish Christians, which is hard to see there in the text. But if you look again at verse 15, when it says... Ever since I heard about your faith, he's talking to the Gentile Christians. This letter is written primarily to Gentiles, to non-Jews, to those not descended from Abraham who've been grafted in through faith in Jesus. And when it says, and your love for all his people, it's talking about the Jewish Christians, those who are descended from Abraham and have put their trust in Jesus. Okay? Now, It's a really, really, really big deal that Gentiles are loving Jews. It's huge and it's hard. It's impossible for us to really grasp how big a deal this is. 
2,000 years later. Do you remember in Leviticus that salvation was only for Israel? Israel were God's chosen people and God's blessing was to them alone. Through the sacrificial system at the temple, God's blessing was for them alone. Later on, the Jews and the Gentiles, just they hated each other. The Gentiles were taken over by Syria in 720 BC and they intermarried and they started bowing down to the foreign gods just like Solomon did. Whereas the Jewish Christians, some of the Jews, they remained faithful to God. They got exiled off to Babylon in 580-odd BC, but they remained faithful to God. And now, as Jesus arrives, the Jews have remained faithful to God, but the Gentiles have intermarried and started bowing down to foreign gods. And so they're despicable and despised and they're pagan and the Jews avoided the Gentiles at all costs. They did not mix. In fact, when the Jews in the north went up to Jerusalem, which was in the south, Samaria was in the way and they'd walk through the mountains to get to Jerusalem, to get to the temple. They'd go all the way around the hard way to get to Jerusalem just to avoid an encounter with a Samaritan. If you know the story of Jesus meeting with a Samaritan woman at the well, that's a really big deal that Jesus talks to a Samaritan and a Samaritan woman and interacts with them. But that's the love of Christ. He crosses boundaries, doesn't he? Doesn't he? Jesus crosses boundaries. Yes, he does. He crosses boundaries. He talks to Samaritans. He's not afraid. Okay. So, look at verse 12 in your Bibles. In order that we, who are the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. So, the Jewish Christians is Paul's brethren. Paul's a Jew, the most devout Jew there was. He was a Christian killer before he met Jesus on the road um, to Damascus. And we need to make sure we're not confusing the Jewish nation with the Jewish religion as well. So, these days, there's still people who are Jews and, and um, follow Judaism, but they're not Christians. They're Jewish, but not Christian. Let me explain. Above the line, you had the nation of Israel descended from Jacob, God's people, the Jews, and they fell into law-keeping, which we call Judaism, and they still do that today. They fell into law-keeping and they trusted their descendancy and they trusted their law-keeping to save them. When Jesus came in the first century, many of the Jews kept doing that, but many of the Jews put their trust in Jesus. They became Jewish Christians, like Ben Pakula, our assistant minister at Harrington Park. He's a Jewish Christian. Descended from Abraham is Ben, but trust in Jesus does Ben as well, not Judaism. Does that make sense? So, Okay, so there's Jewish Christians in the church here in Ephesus, and they're the ones, the Gentiles, who've been grafted in, are loving, and for that, Paul is thankful. Does that make sense? Not if it makes sense. Have you got any questions on that? Because this is really important. This is kind of the guts of my big idea for the day. <laughs> Make sure you get your head around that. Okay. So, for 2,000 years, Gentiles were excluded from God's chosen nation, Jews included. But in Jesus, the doors opened wide to the Gentiles. And Gentiles were trusting Jesus and getting saved. And Paul heard of their great love and he thanked God. Morning, noon and night, it says... He thanked God for the Gentiles who were loving the Jewish Christians. 
They were bridging the gap. They, the wall of hostility had been broken down in Christ and the Gentiles were walking through and loving Jews. Huge. Try to feel it as much as you can. And I'm going to ask you a question. Are we the same as those Gentile Christians? We're Gentile Christians, unless you're descended from Abraham. Are we the same? Are we willing to love anyone sacrificially and indiscriminately, just like those Gentile Christians were? You can't think of anyone more relationally separate from a Gentile than a Jew 2,000 years ago. So think of the person who's most relationally separate from you in the world. (laughs) That's going to be different depending on who you are and where you're from. If that person walked in the door, could you love them sacrificially, indiscriminately? A new family has just moved in the road, across the road from us in Oakland Circuit in Gregory Hills. Uh, They just moved in. I met them. They're very nice. Um, I can tell you I've been conflicted in my desire for who was going to move in across the road. I must confess. I'm making a public confession. I've been conflicted in my desire. In my self-centeredness, I desired a Christian family with three kids, roughly age 11, 9 and 6. Boy, girl, girl, ideally, would have been nice. Um, Thanks, God. That'd be good. If the boy could like soccer and the father be a West Tigers fan, well, that would be even better. Thank you, God. Oh, one last thing. If the guy could really look after his lawn, I'd appreciate that because I like my lawn and... That's it, God. Thanks. That's been... What? What's that? Like, who am I following? I'm following Gavin, right, at that point. How about this? God, on second thoughts, and please forgive me, I've noticed that heaps and heaps of Muslim families are moving into Gregory Hills. There's lots of Muslim families moving into Gregory Hills and they worship a false god. And they need to meet Jesus. And we know Jesus. So God, actually, could you please send one of those families to move into the house across the road so we can share the gospel with them? God, I'm not quite sure how I'd share the gospel with them, but I'm sure the Holy Spirit knows. So I'm going to start with him and I'm going to pray. Holy Spirit, please help me to know how to share the gospel with the Muslims across the road. Turns out there aren't Muslims across the road. Um, but I don't know if they trust Jesus or not yet, so I need to find out so I can share Jesus with them if they don't. I wonder, am I, are you willing to cross the dividing wall of hostility with the love of Jesus with whoever it is in your midst? If a large Muslim family, praise God, came to our church and joined our church, would we welcome them warmly with open arms? The same as if they were someone like me and a West Tigers fan. You know, it's ridiculous. Are we ready to sacrificially love, indiscriminately welcome anyone who comes into our church, who comes into our life? And if not then what did Jesus die for? I know what Paul would want us to do. And you know what Paul would want us to do. And I think we love people well. We welcome people well. And I've heard from lots of people, whether new people join our church, 
They feel welcomed. That's good. I wonder, are we a hospitable church? And I'm not so sure we are. Welcoming churches welcome people at the door. Hospitable churches welcome people into their homes and their lives. And they're in it for the long haul with people. They're willing to love them sacrificially. Sacrificially loving people means loving people at your expense. It's not easy. It costs you something. I think we've got some work to do in terms of genuine hospitality. And I hasten to add that COVID made hospitality temporarily, literally impossible this year. We couldn't do it. We weren't allowed to do hospital. It was against the law to do hospitality. But it's not anymore. The restrictions have lifted. The doors have opened. And I think we're still coming out of that security and that nervousness and that's okay that's okay but we need to come out of it there's no need for any guilt or shame but restrictions are lifted the sun is shining it's beautiful out there we've moved into our mission area praise god we're in gladswood hills thank you god thank you mrs whitfield the principal who's been amazing i think we're ready to level up on our hospitality don't you do you think so I think we're ready. I think we're ready to level up on our hospitality as a church. I really think we are. I wonder, can we start, can you start, can we start by inviting some people from church over once before the end of the year that you've never had over your house before? Invite someone over for lunch that you've never had over before, before the end of the year. That's the challenge from me to you. <coughs> all the best with it we will too we'll invite someone over that we've never had over to our home that's the challenge i think it's reasonable do you think it's reasonable mm, no nods okay well feel free to fill out i'm here today form and say gav you're out of your mind um and then i think we can set a goal next year for doing hospitality once a month how's that it's a goal i'm saying you know it's a goal right Work towards it once a month to hospitality, have some people over your house from church, not your friends, <laughs> have them over the other weeks, but once a month, have some people over from church, maybe that you don't know or you want to get to know, or maybe they're new and you just want to make them feel loved in your church, have them over once a month. That's the goal. It's a challenge. We're tired. It's been a stressful year. We're wrung out. I get it. I am too. But I think this is reasonable. I think... A few people before the end of the year that you, you haven't had over before, and I think once a month next year as a goal is good. And here's the two tricks to making it work. They're not tricks really, but here's what's going to make it work. One's theological, one's practical. The first, grasp the blessings that are yours in Christ and then extend them to others. Paul knows and he prays the only way anyone can love the way God's people are loving in Ephesus and the surrounding regions is if they fully grasp the blessings that are theirs in Jesus. It's the only way a Gentile is ever going to associate with a Jew is if they get it in their mind and then in their heart. That's how it works. It goes in your mind and it goes into your heart. God's word. 
by the Holy Spirit. The only way, that could be the only way for you right now. You could be stressed, you could be tired, you probably are, you could be wrung out. The only way you're really going to reach out and do this sacrificial thing is if you really understand God's blessings to you in Christ. The second trick, which is a practical trick, is to keep the bar low. It doesn't have to be a three-course meal. It doesn't have to be waiters. It doesn't have to be violins. It can just be chicken and chips. It can just be ham and cheese toasties. Invite your best friends over if you want to help you wash up and clean up afterwards so that, you know, you can go into Monday morning with a tidy house. I, I know that. I like that too. Would you be offended if someone from church invited you over for chicken and chips? Would you like to come over to my house? That sounds lovely. It's just going to be chicken and chips. Wow, you're stingy. Forget it. That's not going to happen. Would you like to come over to my house? That's lovely. Chicken and chips. Whatever. Sounds great. Chicken and chips. I like chicken and chips. Who doesn't like chicken and chips? Okay. You get it. Okay, it's a challenge. It's going to require prayer. I'm going to actually say a quick prayer right now. Please join me. This is not the end of the sermon. Don't be excited. Okay. <laughs> Heavenly Father, we want to honour you. We thank you for the rich blessings we have from you in Christ. Lord, please make us a really hospitable church. We're pretty tired and stressed out from the year that's been. As you know, uh, we know that the whole year's in your hand and we're in your hand. And Lord, we pray that by the Holy Spirit, you'll help us to realise the enormous blessings we have in you so that we might reach out with that blessing to others. So please energise us and excite us for that, we pray. Please, in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, all right. Um, second point, that's probably almost two-thirds of the sermon. Now we're on to the second point. It's done. Um, Paul prays for God to open the eyes of their hearts so they can see. Paul prays that they'll see the great blessings. He prays, here's a good thing to do, prays that they'll see the great blessings from him through Jesus. He wants God's people to really see God, to see Jesus, to see what's been done for them so that they won't take Jesus for granted. Look at verse 17. I keep asking, he's persistent, isn't he, in his prayer? I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I'm just going to keep banging on about this. As we start to grasp what we have in Christ, the hopeless state we're in without him, we see his glory and splendor. And there's three ways in which he's richly blessed us, which I want to show you in this passage. Three ways. There's lots of ways, but there's three ways revealed for us here that God's blessed us in Christ to help know him and see him more fully. So verse 18, I pray the hearts, eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Hope, inheritance, great power. First of all, hope. Paul prays that his people will remember the hope they were called to when they were first called, that they haven't forgotten. They've moved to the beach, they're like, this is amazing, and then they've forgotten. No, no. They remember God's amazing grace to them. They don't forget. Verses 3 to 14, that big, long, excited sentence from Paul that we looked at last week, they're the blessings from God. And Paul prays they'll remember them. If you were here last week, not on Kids Church, you may remember God chose his people before the beginning of the world in love. He predestined them. He gave, they have great, we've got great hope as Christians 
because we're chosen before the beginning of time. It's not about what you've done, it's about what God did before you even had a chance to do anything. God has chosen you. Secondly, adopted into his family, brothers with Jesus, co-heirs with Jesus. His riches are our riches. Called into the Godhead. We, in Christ, we are in the Godhead, in relationship with Father and Holy Spirit, in the Godhead, in Christ, now, seated in the heavenly realms, it says, in Ephesians. That's your new family that is eternal. And we're promised unity and peace with God and one another through faith in Jesus because all things are being united under Christ's feet as a result of his all-conquering death on the cross. Christians are called to great hope in a hopeless world because of Jesus. I loved Clem's testimony. He just, like, what's the point? Where's the hope? And he miraculously wrote down, check out Jesus, and that was the answer. No matter what life throws at you, Christians have great hope because the Almighty One has called you out from the crowd to be His precious possession. Secondly, the future, glorious riches in Christ, co-heirs with Jesus. Jesus has already risen, already ascended to the Father's right hand. In John chapter 14, Jesus tells us He's preparing a place for you in heaven. Isn't that nice? When you go to a really fancy hotel and you walk in, the room's all not like my bedroom, it's all kind of ready and clean and pristine, you're like, oh wow, they prepared this for us, that's nice, we paid exorbitantly for it, but God, Jesus has prepared a place in heaven for you, it's ready for you when you arrive. We will one day join him in heaven and the infinite riches that are his will be ours too. What will heaven be like? Do you ever think about it? What will heaven be like? John, could you pass me my drink? It's over there. I'm going to need it in just a second. <clears throat> we think about big holidays that are coming up, don't we? Thank you. 52 days on the rumour. We think about our big holidays. Do we think about the biggest holiday ever that's coming up in heaven? No more crying, no more mourning or sadness or tears or pain or ageing, no more COVID, no more death in heaven. Do we think about that? Perfect relationship with everyone. There's a crazy concept. No fighting, no arguments, no conflict, not even tension, not even, you know, that uncertainness where you don't quite know where you stand with someone? None of that. Only love and fun and joy. We will see Jesus. We will see those we love who have fallen asleep in Christ. And Peter explains that this inheritance can never perish, spoil or fade. It's being kept in heaven for you where disease and decay and death can't reach it. It's worth pondering. My auntie is a Christian and on my page here it says she's dying in hospital in Queensland because I wrote this sermon early in the week. She died in hospital in Queensland on Friday. And I was chatting to my mum before she died and I said, we have to remember that you will see her again as much as you want to see her now and you can't because of Queensland's restrictions on people who live in Sydney. She couldn't see her sister again 
before she died. But she will see her again. And she won't be sick and she won't be in pain. And she won't have bleeding in her brain from a stroke. My mum is a Christian too and now more than ever she's pondering heaven. She's looking forward to seeing her sister and her mum, my nan, who passed away many years ago. Thirdly, is the present. Our God works powerfully in his children now. God's power to raise Christ from the dead is at work in those who know and trust Jesus now. That same power that raised Jesus and seated him in the heavenly realms is at work in you by the Holy Spirit. Helping us to trust when it's hard to trust, when life's sucky. Helping us to witness to our friends and colleagues and our new neighbours across the road when we're scared and we're not sure how it's going to go. Paul wants to assure them God's powerful and he's working in them. They need not fear. What are some great powers in the world right now that we fear? This is a real question. What's some powerful things in the world now that we fear? Nuclear war happening. Civil war in America happening. I'm concerned about that. What else? Oh, you're a quiet bunch. Anxious to speak out loud in front of friends. COVID, terrorism, those kinds of things. We fear death very much. My dad turned 70 yesterday. My auntie actually died on her birthday. Isn't that terrible? Friday was her birthday. Dad's birthday was yesterday. It was not quite as jovial as it could have been. And I said to him, what have you learned in the last 30 years that I don't know yet? And he said, I've learned to accept death a lot more. I've lost a lot more friends. And I've learned to accept the reality of my mortality, is what he said. When scary things are happening in the world, when there's things we're frightened of, where do we turn for answers? Do we turn to the Australian government? Don't do that. We can't trust governments to have answers to those big questions. I think the Australian government does a pretty good job of running our country compared to lots of other countries that do a great job. But they haven't got the answers for the big questions in life. Do we turn to health and science and our, you know, ingenuity? Well, it's got some great answers too, but not to the big questions. What about death? Where do we turn? Where's the answer? We turn to ourselves and try harder, learn more, Google more, watch more YouTube videos. Or do we pray? Do we, do we forget the Holy Spirit's at work? The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in you, at your disposal. Do you forget? Do you take it for granted and forget to pray when you're stressed, when you're anxious, when there's a big problem? What do, do you pray and then do you actually trust God to handle it? to work in his people who he loves. God loves you. He loves our church. 
He wants what's best for us. The same power that created the universe with a word and that raised Jesus from death is at work in you and in our church. The resurrected, all-conquering Lord Jesus is the head of our little church here in Gledswood Hills. Look at verse 22. God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. God is the head of our church. The Lord and King of the universe leads our church, not me. Whew, pressure's off. I lead our church under Jesus. Praise God for Jesus, who's ultimately leading our church. It's only by Jesus' power the world exists and continues to exist. This same Jesus is the head of your church, filling us with hope, with the promise of salvation, with the hope of a future inheritance, with power, the same power that raised him from the dead. Don't forget. Tomorrow morning, don't forget. Wednesday morning, don't forget. Jesus wants to do what's best for us. Of course he does. We need only ask him. Pray that he'll grow us together in fellowship. Pray that he'll make us more loving and hospitable to one another and to anyone new who comes into our gathering. To see us to the end in our glorious inheritance together. Has that crossed your mind? We're in this together forever. You might as well get on with getting one another, knowing one another now. You're stuck with each other forever. And me. Man, two implications to finish. Knowledge and faith are two peas in a pod. If you want to know God better, grasp what Jesus has done for you more fully so that you don't take him for granted and you need to read the Bible daily and meditate on it as well. Set time aside to read it and think about it, pray about it. I had a more college lecturer who said he used to write down his favourite verse from the Bible reading that morning, a little piece of paper, and put it in his pocket. And you could set it as your lock screen, like whatever, it's 21st century. Remember God's Word throughout the day. As we read God's Word, we're confronted with His character. As we reflect on God's Word, the eyes of our heart are open to see His goodness more and more. And I've got to tell you, because we are sinful, living in sinful bodies in a sinful world, we forget. Our eyes are closed by the busyness of life. And they actually have to be reopened again, again and again, by God's Word. If you don't want to know God better and you don't want to appreciate Jesus more and you don't want to live for Him more and more, then just leave the Bible on the shelf. And that's what you'll get. Knowledge is like the ladder that faith climbs up. The Bible talks about it a lot. We need his word in our minds. That's how God transforms our hearts. Question, this one's rhetorical. Why do you trust your spouse or your parents or your friends or those people in your life that you trust? Why do you trust them? Because you know them. And because you see them time and again, you know, not let you down. That's how trust grows. And that's how trust is broken too, isn't it? When they let you down. So as we're constantly reminded of God's faithfulness to us, our trust and faith grows. Okay. Secondly, be encouraged. Be emboldened by God's blessings. 
the more you know Jesus' will for you and blessings to you, the more you'll be encouraged and emboldened to live for him. That's just how it works. It's how the Holy Spirit works in us. Having people over your home could seem like a mountain to climb right now. Um, but remember God's power at work in you. God's power at work in you is much greater than your power on your own. God's power at work in you is greater, much greater actually, than your power on your own. So pray and look to God for strength and remember his work in you. Sharing your faith at work with the complexity and restrictions and all that kind of stuff could seem impossible, so pray about it. Look to God whose power is at work in you. Turn to the Holy Spirit who's at work in you. Tomorrow morning, tonight, let's all sit down with God's Word open and read it. If you don't know what to read first, ask me. Fill out the I'm here today button or text me or ask a trusted Christian friend. What should I read first? I love John's Gospel. You could go there. You could read Ephesians if you haven't read it yet. Be reminded of hope, excited about riches, encouraged by God's power and reminded afresh just how awesome the God who created the universe and rose Jesus from the dead is and remember he's working in you. Let me pray. Loving Father and Almighty God, it's too great a truth to grasp, I think, for us sometimes. Your love for us, your blessings to us. We know we don't deserve them. We live in a world where nothing's free. And here is your wonderful gift of forgiveness, of sins, of grace, of inheritance. I mean, an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. It's all given to us freely through Jesus. So we thank you, God, and we pray that we'll remember every day your blessings to us by opening your word, not trusting in our own good memory, but opening your word and trusting the Holy Spirit to remind us afresh of your love and blessings to us each day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to continue in prayer. Andrew is going to faithfully, lovingly lead us. Thanks, brother. So let's uh, continue on in prayer. Uh, please uh, join me as we pray in response to what we've heard. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word, the Bible. Thank you. We pray that we'd be diligent in our study of your word so that we'd be growing in our love and knowledge of you. Help us to know the hope that you have called us to. Help us to know the glorious riches that await us in heaven. And help us to know the power that you have, that you demonstrated through the resurrection of your son, Jesus. Help us to know the grace that we have received and help us to live for you in all things. Lord, we pray that for the youth of our church. We thank you for the ways in which you have worked in their lives to bring them into relationship with you. We pray that you would continue to grow them in their faith. We pray for Unite Youth Leaders. Uh, we pray that they would share their uh, lives and faith with the youth, give them wisdom as they teach the youth about you. And we thank you for the 5 to 8 Bible study group. Uh, we pray that those youth will grow in their love and knowledge of you too. Uh, we also want to pray and thank you for our emergency service, uh, men and women. We thank you for the many and varied ways that they serve our community. 
Uh, we thank you that they give up their time with their families to look after us in emergencies. And we pray for Christians in the emergency services, that they'd be your ambassadors in these uh, difficult workplaces. Keep all of our emergency service men and women safe as they serve our community. And Lord, we want to pray for um, potential unrest that's occurring around the world. We pray for peace and safety throughout the world. We particularly pray for the deep divisions that are present around the world at the moment. And we pray that all people would seek peace and a common love for one another. Help all peoples to love their neighbours as themselves and to love you with all their heart, soul, mind and strength. And all this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.